children of Earth. Kids, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmothers, grandfathers, we are all children of Earth. The Earth is our mother. Mother Earth is for all of us. You're listening to Women's Magazine, Mutiny Radio. We must all be kind to our mother, take care of her, and love her. Mother Earth has many children. All living things are her children. The plants, animals, birds, fish, insects, reptiles, and the people. Responsibilities to take care of the living natural world. The mother takes care of us, provides all we have. If we do not care for her, she cannot care for us. The human beings have thoughts and can act on these thoughts. How the human beings think affects all the living things. Human beings are caretakers to take care of Mother Earth, protect her with good thought. We are all children of Earth. children of earth. Kids, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmothers, grandfathers, we are all children of earth. The earth is our mother. Mother earth is for all of us.
and welcome. I'm Global Val. You're listening to Women's Magazine on MutinyRadio.fm. And I'm really excited because it's the month of March. And of course, that means it's Women's History Month or Herstory Month, however you'd like to put it. Um, we just had International Women's Day a couple days back on the 8th. And so we're going to dedicate March. And of course, well, this is Women's Magazine. So it's every Friday dedicated to um, women and uh, the the issues that affect all of us. Um, but today, I'm really, really happy to welcome three guests into the Mutiny Radio Studios, uh, three women who are running for supervisor, the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. We've got uh, Sandra Lee Fewer, who's running for District 1. Um, we've got Kimberly Alvarenga running for District 11, and Hillary Ronan running for District 9. And District 9, of course, is here in the Mission in Bernal Heights, and we're here at Mutiny Radio in the Mission of San Francisco. Uh, as I said, I'm Global Val, and I, I, I deeply care about the San Francisco. I'm a fifth-generation San Franciscan. I know we have a couple other natives here in the room, and, long, and of course, um, everyone in this room I, I know is dedicated to uh, looking out for this fine amazing city of ours um, and addressing some of the really important issues that um, we obviously all, all care about in uh, the, the present and the future of San Francisco. So thank you so much for being my guests. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so maybe we'll start with uh, Sandra. Since, sure. since you're, we're in District 1, we'll start with you first. That's great. <laughs> um, so I know that you've been a long time resident of the Richmond District. Yes, I have. So I've lived in the Richmond District for 50 years. My husband also was raised in the Richmond District. So together, um, we went to the same schools in the Richmond District. We went to all the public schools there. We played in its parks. You know, Golden Gate Park was our background, our playground, quite frankly. We skated on the streets. We made lifelong friends there. And we raised our three children there, Sarah, Colleen, and Rory. And I know that for the past several years, you've been a member of the Board of Education, which is an elected position. Um, this is your second term, I believe. Yes, it is. And I ran first in 2008, and then I ran again in 2012. And and you were also elected um, to be the president of the board back in 2014, was it? That's correct. Was that a one-year term? That is a one-year term. Okay. Yes. Um, so how did you get involved with, uh, initially get involved in the political side of San Francisco? Yeah, that's a really good question, quite frankly, because no one in my family had ever run for office, and I never saw myself as running for any office at all. I was a stay-at-home mom for many years. Um, I was a PTA president for 12 terms, and I worked for Coleman Advocates for Children and Youth, and I was the director of parent organizing. We worked on edgy and affordable family housing. And one day, and Tanya Lee, who was our executive director, showed us a model created by the Annenberg Institute on how we make the greatest social change. And it showed an inside and an outside strategy. And so Coleman, we did a whole assessment of on um, the school board, like who's who's on our side. And we had a whole bunch of measures. And um, what we discovered was we couldn't depend on someone 100% of the time. And we thought we had to grow our own. And at that point, we were, we were just about to launch an education equity platform. And so we kind of looked around the room and said, hey, I wonder who could run that has been Coleman sort of grown and trained. And um, the, pretty much the finger was pointed at me. One, you know, I, I am older and I had a husband that was supporting me. And I also um, had a lot of factors, I think, that made me politically viable. A school board race is a citywide race. And so 
you have to be able to attract a, a large voter sort of um, following. And the fact, I think, that I'm Chinese-American, I am a fourth-generation Chinese-American San Franciscan. The fact that I think I was a PTA president for many years. But then I also did a lot of things around equity and education equity and racial equity that it, I think I could cross both sides. And I won in 2008. In 2012, I was the number one vote-getter in the city. Um, for the school board race and also in my district. So sometimes I ask myself around this supervisor's race, in fact, I ask myself constantly, how did I get here? Like, how, how did I get here? I was a cocktail waitress at the Fairmont Hotel. I was a retail clerk at Macy's Fitting Bras. I gave out candy samples. I, I kind of don't really know how I got here, but here I am, and I declared about maybe six weeks ago or maybe two months now, and we're on it. And we've been going really strong ever since I made the decision to run. So um, I'm glad I did, though, especially because I am running with such amazing women, and it is so exciting to think that I could be working on the board with them because I admire both these women very much. That is very exciting. Thank you, Sandra. Um, and uh, just a quick question about that before we introduce more in depth uh, the other two uh, women who are here with us today. How is running for supervisor proving to be different from running from the Board of Education? Well, I think it is really different. I think there is much more attention on it, and you're scrutinized much more. The competition, the money you have to raise is incredible, especially if you're running against somebody who, um, you know, as a profession, was a is a political fundraiser. And so I think at the school board race, you have to raise about $55,000 to be viable, maybe about 60000 more. That was a stretch for me. But in this race, I think all of us are looking, especially all three of us, we come from bases that are actually moderate and low income. We're, we don't have a lot of corporate connections. We, the people that I think that we have worked with are moderate wage earners or low wage earners. And that has been the bulk of our careers, I think. And so we were just talking about this today, Kimberly and I, that it is a challenge to raise that money. But having said that, I don't think we need to raise as much money because we will have a better field. I think most of us have worked as organizers before. We know how to organize. We know that money doesn't buy everything and that it is about the will of the people, I think, in this race. Fantastic. And then I certainly um, support that notion, too, that we can you know, move forward and actually have a, a functioning political system without having to have uh, you know, X amount of dollars to prove that you, know, you can raise money to, to run a campaign. Um, so let, let, let's actually, we've got Hillary Ronan here, who's running for District 9, and, and Kim Alvarenga running for District 11. Maybe um, before we get into more in-depth introductions. Talk a little bit about coming from your own districts and how, how, how it is to actually run for supervisor and, and what kind of challenges that's posing for you. Um, Hillary, you want to start with sure. that? And then I think what's interesting about the three of us as candidates is we all share um, the same you know, we're all asking ourselves the same question, how did we get here? Because I don't think any of us plan to become politicians. None of us plan to run for office. We landed there because we care uh, about our districts and about the city and, and sort of our, our work paths led us to this point. Um, I uh, was not born in San Francisco. I was born in Los Angeles and moved to the Bay Area in 2003 uh, to attend law school at UC Berkeley. And my first job out of law school 
was in the mission at La Raza Centro Legal, and I worked there for six and a half years as an attorney and organizer with Latino immigrant workers. Um, and it was through that job that I wrote the first version of the Domestic Worker Bill of Rights, which Kimberly, um, at the time, was the uh, district director for Assembly Member Tom Amiano, and actually was responsible for getting it passed through the legislature. Um, but um, I, uh, with with domestic workers, helped write that that first version, and that process of writing laws that with community that would actually make real impact in the community's life was such an incredible experience um, that when there was an opening for a legislative aid in Supervisor Campos's office, um, I ran for that, or ran for that. It felt like it because there were so many people applying at the time. <laughs> I applied for that, that seat, that seat, that position, and, and and um, he asked me to work for him. And so for the past six years, I have been working in the District 9 office as a legislative aide. But even during that entire time as a legislative aide, I never thought that I would run, run for office. It was about the issues. It was about the community. It was about uh, writing and passing laws and, and making sure that our $9 billion budget was equitably distributed to, to all communities in San Francisco. And it really wasn't until um, we reached the level of crisis that we're currently in um, where we're, we're losing the best part of our city, which is the people. Unless you're super wealthy, you can't move into San Francisco today, um, that I decided to step up and, and run for office. Um, and uh, it's been a tremendous experience. I, you know, I, 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 I and the right person for this job um, because I've worked in this district for 13 years, both in the Mission and the Port and Bertle Heights. Um, and I know this community inside and out. Uh, I'm in it for all of the right reasons and intentions, which is to serve this community and lift up the residents, workers, and businesses in District 9, uh, just like I know Kimberly Alvarenga and Sandra Lee Fewer are, are in it for those same reasons. And in, in just to, to bring it into the, the present day right now, I know um, uh, Supervisor Campos has called for a state of emergency to be declared for the homelessness crisis. What's your take on that? Um, and how, are you, how, is that, how is your office or, or Campos's office working towards that right now? Sure. You know, I, I want to be clear. I, I believe that we're in the crisis that we're in because this mayor and this mayoral administration have, has failed us. Uh, this mayor cares more about corporate interests and developers than he does about the people of San Francisco and the residents of San Francisco. And, uh, you know, the way that he has been dealing with the homeless crisis, um, the fact that he swept homeless people off the street in the Embarcadero uh, to make room for people to party around the Super Bowl, uh, uh, really created a crisis in District 9. Um, we had a, a tent city of more than 200 people on Division Street, um, other tent cities um, all uh, along under the freeways on Cesar Chavez Street, under the 101 freeway. Um, and uh, the, the, issue, the, the situation has gotten to crisis levels, and there just isn't a response that is meeting um, the, 
devastating effect that this crisis is on having most importantly on homeless people who are living in tents on our streets, but then also of residents who have been asked to sh shoulder the burden of our affordability crisis in the city. Um, it's not acceptable that our residents are walking over human waste, uh, you know, when they open their door in the in, in the morning. It's not acceptable that our residents um, who don't have the training are dealing with people in severe mental health crisis on our streets. Um, this is a, a problem for all of us. And um, uh, Supervisor Campos decided that enough is enough. We need to raise the level of urgency. We need to use new tools to start to solve this crisis. And, and we, don't, we can't wait any longer. Um, so by declaring a state of emergency, it does a, a number of things. Um, first, it, uh, it kind of cuts the red tape so that it will be much easier and faster to build new navigation centers on city-owned land. Um, and, and in a few weeks, uh, he, and, and you know, I'm working on this uh, as a legislative aide in his office, um, is going to put forward an ordinance um, requiring the mayor to open six new navigation centers throughout San Francisco, uh, uh, four of which need to be done in the next uh, three months, and then, um, and then you know, the rest uh, by a year. Uh, these navigation centers uh, is a model that's working. We opened the first navigation center in the mission, and what makes these centers different and unique from traditional shelters is um, that people are allowed to bring their opposite-sex partner and stay in the shelter together. They're open 24 hours a day. People can bring their pets and their belongings. Um, and then on-site, there are social workers and counselors that help homeless people sign up for public benefits which is really incredibly difficult when you don't have an address or all of your paperwork. Um, once people get on public benefits, it's much easier to transition into per more permanent housing or an SRO hotel. You know, we see it as sort of a housing ladder to a permanent uh, affordable housing. Um, this model is working. And uh, even though we've acknowledged that it's working, you know, and the mayor acknowledged it was working seven months ago and, you know, had a press release announcing he's going to open new centers, uh, when we had a hearing last week or a couple weeks ago at the board, um, his homeless director said that they don't have plans to open an another uh, navigation center for, for a half a year. And so uh, we felt that even though it's the mayor's responsibility to run the departments that, that, that deal with opening navigation centers, that the work isn't being done and it's not being done fast enough. And so the board is going to step in, declare the state of emergency, and pass the law's mandate, mandating action. Well, thank, thank you for uh, reporting from City Hall on that one, uh, Hillary Ronan. Um, it is something that I think everybody in the city is concerned with, um, whatever angle they may be looking at it from. And I want to I transition over to Kim Alvarenga. Welcome. Thank you for thank coming you so today. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's just inspiring to to be here sitting with uh, Hillary Ronan, Ronan and uh, Sandra Fewer, and it's a privilege. You know, I, I, uh, I'm running for supervisor, as they said, you know, because I care deeply about the city. Uh, my parents met in the mission a couple of blocks over uh, in the early 1960s. My mom was a waitress at El Farolito restaurant, and my dad worked for Sunset Scavenger. He uh, era salvadoreña, and he a uh, Mexicano. And uh, I grew up, I went to San Francisco schools, went to C's called Hawthorne, Visitation Valley Middle School, and Woodrow Wilson High School. And um, 
I care deeply. You know, I think that we need to make sure that um, communities that are underrepresented have a voice at the table. Um, and those that have experienced struggle, you know, my mom raised me as a domestic worker herself. You know, when I was about eight, we had to move to Holly Court's housing projects in Bernal Heights and know what it's like to struggle and know what it's like to try to make ends meet. Um, I've been working in the community uh, with my sisters here for uh, many years. I, for 20 years, I worked on family issues, on economic security issues. Uh, I worked for legal aid for a number of years, doing welfare work, food stamps. You know, when, I, when my mom struggled, we had to rely on food stamps. Um, to make ends meet. And, um, you know, in 2007, I, I had the privilege of helping support a friend who ran for supervisor. Uh, he and I were friends. His name's David Campos. He was formerly undocumented. And uh, that was my introduction into politics. Usually it was like working from the outside in, uh, building uh, power with community. And in, um, you know, worked on his campaign and uh, able to get him elected. And in 2008, uh, Tom Mamiano asked me to be his district director. And I was able to work on so many issues, um, defending uh, universal health care in San Francisco, uh, the fight to save City College uh, with a lot of the folks in City College. I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for City College um, and all the struggles that I've been through. And um, passing legislation like Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights um, very close to my heart because of my mom's struggle. My mom raised me on $3.50 an hour as a domestic worker taking care of other people's kids. And so uh, with the help of Hillary and uh, uh, all the other work that had been done beforehand, uh, we were able to pass that. Uh, worked on the Trust Act to defend immigrant folks from being deported just because of the shade of color that they are. And um, I'm working uh, with SEIU now. You know, we're working on uh, making sure that we pass minimum wage, $15 an hour, and six paid uh, sick days uh, for the state of California. Um, and that's at the state level. Uh, but we're in critical times right now. And I think it's time for us to like put out a vision for what we want our communities to, to see, uh, not be on the defensive, but be proactive on the offensive, and a vision for what San Francisco is for, for everybody that works here. And you know, in my district, you know, District 11, it's the heart of the working class folks in this district. You know, we have labor households, density, you know, families, grandparents, elders, you know, parents and children trying to survive, working two, three jobs to, to make it every single day, and they're paying their fair share, um, but they don't see the equity. They don't see anything coming back to them, um, and, and they deserve to have that, and I think that uh, I'm ready and willing to be that champion and make sure that they do. And, and along those lines, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's coming from kind of all corners of the city where you have, you know, multiple generations or, 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 or even, you know, individuals, but yeah, struggling to try to see a future in San Francisco, you know, for different generations, all of you have children. So I imagine that that's a big, uh, personal, you know, um, motivator for, for, making sure that the city is a place where children can grow up and have a future and, and, and have, uh, you know, pros you know be, be prosperous enough to be able to do something which seems so simple, which is to live and work in your own city and be part of that community. So let's get into a little bit more of how, do, how can we do it? What are some of the plans or ideas that all of you have that you'd like to take um, 
as uh, being if you're elected onto the board of supervisors? Well, I think you know, in my district, out in the Richmond set, we. Um, you know, it's very much like District 11, I think. It's very working class that we have people who have been out there for a very long time. I mean, I've been out there 50 years, but quite frankly, I have many friends who have lived there for 30 years, long-time renters. And people out there in my district, I think they're terrified. They're terrified about the housing. They're worried they're going to be displaced because they know if they lose their housing, they will not be able to come back to San Francisco or, re or remain in San Francisco, which now, you know, is their home. And so I think in San Francisco, Francisco, we haven't really explored community land trust enough. I would, in my district, there are many pieces of property, I think, that could be under community land trust that would give them permanent stability in their homes. Yes, equity is capped, but I think what our families are really concerned about is being able to plan to be able to plan for their families and the future of their families. In a community land trust, which I think in the mission, they've just acquired three pieces of property. I think it's a really good example of a mechanism. It is not the answer completely, but I think it's part of the answer to making places permanently affordable. All right, thank you. Anyone else you want to like to address sure, sure. Um, your ideas for uh, how how we create a, and then the, the visions that, uh, Kim was mentioning, how do we do it? Yeah, um, I see no other way than building thousands and thousands of units of below market rate housing. Um, so one of my pledges, if I'm elected supervisor, is that I'm gonna build 5,000 units of below market rate housing in District 9 in 10 years. And I very deliberately put a number out there, and it's an ambitious number, because I, I wanna hold myself accountable to a metric and to a, to a goal. Um, it's not gonna be easy, but it is absolutely possible. Uh, over the last year, we've fought together with community um, and have currently 480 new units of affordable housing that are gonna be built in the mission in the next couple years, and we are in negotiations right now for hundreds of more units that are on the way. Um, every single day, uh, I am part of meetings with developers and with um, uh, different people in City Hall to identify and obtain plots of land that we can acquire and build affordable housing. Um, and it's really going to be a question of, do we have a will uh, to make this the priority right now for San Francisco? Because if we don't, then it's going to be a city exclusively for the ultra wealthy, and we'll continue to watch our family and friends displaced from their homes. It's just that, that simple and, and that, that stark of a problem. Um, and so it's a matter of raising the revenue, and I think you know there's four main ways to do that. Number one, we have to get the state and federal government to step in and start funding the production of affordable housing in cities again. Um, I, I think we can link up with cities all over the country that are facing a very similar situation and, and, and force the will of Congress, and, you know, both at the state and, and, and federal level to do that. Uh, we need regular housing bonds on the ballot. We uh, won the $310 million housing bond this year. That was fantastic. We need one every year. Uh, we have a $9 billion budget the second largest bu budget in the country, and we're, we need to uh, funnel more of that money into affordable housing. And then finally, we've got to explore a new corporate tax, a corporate tax that goes directly to building housing. I would say that, like Hillary has basically uh, said most of it, you know, it's interesting in District 11, you know, it's such a high homeowner 
ship rate, you know, and um, folks work hard every day to make ends meet. And I think that one of the keys in my district is uh, really uh, equity and making sure that our homeowners, like, get what they really deserve in, in, in terms of the resources across across the city. Um, so that's, that's really important for us. Um, yeah. You know, I agree. I think that already I've looked at my district and I'm looking at affordable housing sites. I've actually identified four um, areas I think that we could build. And you know, out in the Richmond, we're a little, you know, we like it out there and kind of like the way it is. You know, it's, it's not so dense and um, it's very livable. It's a great place to raise families. We've got the beach and we have the parks and we have great playgrounds and our schools are excellent there. And so I think there's a lot of things that um, keeps families there and attract families families to that area but you know I'd love for more families to be able to share it in the wealth out there and I think it is about building affordable housing it's um, in my neighborhood I think we do have room for it and also I feel like our small businesses need some support out there and we're way out you know out in the Richmond and we don't even have a family resource center there and I think those kind of resources are really needed and I think the city needs to also um, really start building up a financial infrastructure for our African-American population. We have seen it decline in the recent years, and we knew it was coming. All you had to do is look at the shipyard closing, our port closing. I mean, we're not a working port. Also, we look at our manufacturing jobs. We've, all, we've gotten rid of all of them. It was not hard to predict, I think. We have lost our middle class, African-American population. We have an opportunity to bring it back by um, supporting a financial infrastructure for them to uh, um, create a new black middle class, and I think we can do it. I think this last four years have been really centered on people who are very wealthy. These next four years with us in the office, I think we're going to center, I mean, center our attentions on low and moderate income workers and also families and trying to keep them here and live them, have them live viable, healthy lives. You know, being serving on the Board of Education, more and more families every month fall into homelessness. And also we have unprecedented and unprecedented um, teacher shortage. Teachers are moderate wage earners and we cannot hire them. And also if you go around in my neighborhood, you'll see help wanted signs because a lot of people do not want to travel an hour and a half for a job that, you know, they're making 13 bucks an hour. And that's just the reality of it. And so we can't hire substitutes because substitutes also are uh, moderate or lower wage earners is so this is when we start looking at the foundation of many of our systems that support our democracies in our country public education is key we educate all it is the hope for the future and when we can't have teachers in the classroom that is a crisis that is it is it is a crisis. I can't tell you how many letters I have written in support of teachers who have been evicted. And these are no fault evictions. It's just rents going up 100%. Our superintendent of schools was evicted. His rent went up $4,000 a month. So when you get to that point, I think that um, it's time we did something about it. And I, you know, I am honored to be here with these women. And the more I learn about them and their history and what they've done, I feel like I can really learn from them. But all of us, we are not politicians. You know, I, I think that we have never sought out limelight or wanted to be the go-to person. We have a background of really rolling up our sleeves and doing the work. And 
I, I think that's the approach you're going to see from us too, is that we will legislate from a grassroots sort of base. And I don't think any of us here will ever forget the people that we have spoken to and the people that we have met. Just wanted to say, you know, just thinking about like the folks in my district, you know, we we're going through one of the biggest economic booms the city's ever seen. We have money coming in left and right. Um, and yet we have in District 11, one of the communities with the highest recidivism rate in the city. And the mayor thinks that we should balance the budget by increasing fees in Rick and Park, you know, so families have to pay more money to get their kids to be uh, part of these systems and uh, stay out of the criminal justice system. And um, back to what Sandy was saying, like these are, these are the folks that really need for us to like advocate for them. These are the folks that like work hard every day and these kids that are trying to like make it. I want my son to continue to live in this city. You know, I'm LGBT. My baby has two moms. I go out to the playground. I don't ever I don't even see anybody like me anymore in this city. All of my community has moved out. Mm. You know, and this is the city that at one point, you know, was supposed to be a place so everybody that feels different can come here, not just be tolerated, but these, but to be celebrated. Those are the values that we hold true to our heart here. And so we need to continue to fight to make sure that that still is something that happens, you know, and I'm, com I'm committed, I know we're all committed here to make sure that our families can continue to stay and live here. Diamond Dave is cheering outside. He, he is. <laughs> he is. He's looking really excited. Um, beca because, um, you know, it, it does. I mean, obviously, all, all of you are, are speaking, you know, straight from the heart and, and, and looking towards how we can do it. So m I guess my question is, and maybe, Hillary, you, can, you could start with this. Um, with with f more affordable housing either being built or, or designated as affordable, how can we, how can we kind of not guarantee necessarily, but how can we help some of the families, like Sandra was saying, families who are being displaced, evicted, um, you know, kids in public school whose families are being evicted and are becoming homeless and living in cars and stuff. How, how can we get some of these families who have um, become the, you know, just, you know, fallen, fallen off because of this huge housing affordability crisis, how can we get them to, to be first in line for uh, affordable housing? Great question. Um, the board recently passed an ordinance um, called the Neighborhood Preference Ordinance uh, precisely to address this issue. Um, and so what it allows is up to 40% of new units that are built in a particular neighborhood below market rate units um, to uh, people who have been displaced from, their na from those neighborhoods to have preference in um, getting those units. Um, you know, I know s some advocates in the mission uh, believe that 100% of units should be uh, preserved for neighborhood preference. Um, what the city attorney has told us is that would be a violation of fair housing laws. Um, so the board kind of struck a balance of trying to push the boundary as much as they could um, and, and settled on the 40% figure. Interesting. 
That's good to know. I mean, and, and this is, uh, and I think maybe part of what gives you, Hillary, kind of a little, little bit of an edge here is that you're, you're in City Hall every day. So I feel like you're kind of our, our reporter right now of, 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 the, yeah, of, of, of the legislation and, and where, where it is and where it's going. Can so. I comment on that? Because that's why I think the three of us are such an amazing team, because I've been in City Hall, so I know the latest that's going on in City Hall. Uh, Kimberly has been at the state level, so knows how to you know navigate the whole state system and then is uh, the political director of a union so knows how to you know make mobilize workers and Sandra Lee Fewer knows the school system better than anyone in the city and so the three of us as a team is just this incredibly powerful force like Sandy said we learn from each other every day every time I'm with these two women I learn so much I, I just got goosebumps because I love them so much um, but I just I think there's something really powerful and since we're and a woman's magazine about women running for office and how we work together and how we appreciate one another and how we collaborate um, and know our strengths and know our weaknesses and have each other's backs um, is something that's really special. You know, and also for me, I'm an older woman, I'm 59, and I love to see that these women younger than me are, it's something about um, seeing a, another generation sort of taking care of the world, you know, and I feel the way, that same way about when I see um, our young teachers and when I see my daughters even who, one works in public health doing global health, another one a labor organizer, you know, that they're, they're going to take care of the world. And so as an older um, candidate here, 59 years old, I love that these younger women are taking up the helm and sort of just saying, I'm going to do this. They have young children. I have children that are already adults and all my children are grown. I have hope for their children. And so they're doing it. I think when I, um, I don't have young children, but I am a steward for 57,000 public school children, all under the age of 18. And so I care deeply. And I think um, they're not doing it just for their own children. But when I think about some of the policies that we pass, I think about their children. And I think about who's going to be able to be here. I am a fourth generation San Franciscan, and San Francisco has never been a place where only rich people lived. We've always had rich people. We've had billionaires, you know? But we've never been a place only for rich people. My great-grandparents came here, you know, on illegal papers, and as most Chinese did at that time, and with an acknowledgement that our immigration policies are systemically racist. And, uh, you know, it's been a place of refuge for many people. We have been in the forefront, our LGBT work, you know, our immigration work, uh, protests on the Vietnam War on San Francisco State University, you know, um, the hippies, this counter-revolutionary sort of um, culture. We have been in the forefront of it. It was never driven by money. It was driven by idealism and a sense of humanity and acceptance and sort of just to make the world a better place for everyone. And I hope we're not losing that. I hope we haven't lost that because it's what makes San Francisco so cool. We could just build and build and build and, you know, have rich people here and have, you know, um, you know, Chain stores. Yeah. <laughs> but the heart and soul of San Francisco 
has always been the people that have come from all over. I'm always shocked that when I say I'm a fourth generation San Franciscan, people look at me like, really, you are? You must get this too, Valerie, being a fifth generation, because yeah. we're a rare breed, quite frankly. Right, that's what they say, yeah. right? It's like, well, you know, I know a lot of people from here, right? but yeah, right. I know what Where you're saying. say, oh, you know, but, um, <laughs> you know, oh, I, you know, I'm a San Francisco, you know, I've been here since 1980, right? And sure. I think... Um, People feel that way about San Francisco, though. People yes. who used to came here five years ago, they feel like they're a San Franciscan. And that is part of the culture of San Francisco. You know, we are really different than Manhattan. And it's because we have this value. Like, yes, we're in the mission. You know, we want the best burrito, but we care about the person making the burrito. We care about their family. We care that their children are doing well. That is a San Francisco value. It always has been. That's what makes us so fabulous. And when we stop caring about those people, then, then, then we're in trouble. Then we become just like everybody else. And then we lose part of our soul. And quite frankly, we lose part of our legacy and part of the, our mission for the rest of the United States, you know, where people look used to look at us and say, oh, San Francisco, they're just crazy, you know, they're, they're marrying LGBT people, you know, and now they're following us. It has always been like this. You know why? Because we know best. And let's know best then in this election about what, we, what it means to the soul of San Francisco. I mean, these women here, I, I, I have two daughters also that I think are just going to be fabulous assets, of course they already are, but fabulous assets to the world. But these two women, giving, I mean, the sacrifice that they are making, the personal sacrifice, they have young children, I, I can't even imagine. But I'm really honored that I'm running with them, but I just really am thankful they're running too. Because it takes women like this, who have tenacity, who have guts, who are not afraid. I mean, you might be terrified, but we will still do it, but we're, it's different about being terrified and being afraid. We could be terrified, but we are not afraid. I think these are strong women here. You are seeing uh, a sort of a different type of woman here that we are not afraid. We know what we need to do. We, we feel the tremendous responsibility of thousands and thousands and thousands of people counting on us. And we will not disappoint. And that's what's inspiring about like the potential to sit yeah, it's getting, on sorry, the board it's of supervisors with women that have raised kids who have babies and when they're casting a vote, those families and those children are in their hearts. And that perspective, knowing that so many of these families are like struggling and working and can't be standing there to give public comment at the board of supervisors, don't have that privilege. But they will be with us and they will be heard. Fantastic, and that's. But thank you. I know we all got really excited from from Sandy's <laughs> last comment. Um, but but also with with you, Kim, saying you know to to know that people on the board um, are are looking out for uh, looking out from that perspective and and being represented. That you know they're working. They can't go down onto Tuesday afternoon and hang out and wait for their turn to speak for two minutes. And and maybe they don't even know if that that's possible or if that's going to have any sort of impact. Um, but the day to day politics 
politics, as you know, Hillary, on the board are really making decisions that are impacting people's lives. Um, so it's it's that's part of the reason why today I wanted to call the show Mothers for Supervisor. Um, although you're all much more than just than just mothers, but um, and we just have a couple more minutes, and and I think you've already kind of addressed it a little bit. Um, what, what what kind of I, I'd say if maybe. If you can think of them, if you, if you have an example, um, what is one insight or lesson that you can take from being a mother uh, that you think will apply to your work on the Board of Supervisors? Might be a big question. <laughs> well, for, for me, it's just basically what I basically just mentioned. You know, it's so hard for parents who have to pick up their kids from child care and struggle every day to make sure they take care of the homework and uh, to be able to like have a voice and advocate for themselves like for the policies that are impacting them is like really challenging and that's really been on my heart you know as I've been talking to residents and and meeting their kids in my district and that's what I'm going to take with me like uh, if elected on the board of supervisors uh, that perspective uh, knowing the the struggles that people face every day to 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 be successful and how much they care for their babies you know and their extended families that's what we bring with us yeah you know for me I think it's it's about realizing what's real and what's really important and I think when I think of myself as a mother but I look at other young mothers too I think about um, the future of San Francisco and the, their future and their children. And having raised my children here, I know it's a fabulous place to raise children. And I know that you can raise fabulous children here too. And it's it's sort of the future of where we'll be. And I think we're, we are, all three of us as moms, I mean, I'm of course an older mom, raised my kids here, but we know what's real. And what's real is really, it gets down to the basics. Are we taking care of our children? Are we taking care of our families? Are we taking care, hopefully, of our seniors, women? Um, and those type, th and I think mothers are nurturing by nature that we do care and like, we care deeply. And mothers also, I just want to say this and, it, and you know, call me on it if it's sexist, but I think we're really self sacrificing. You know, if, um, yeah, you know, I want my kids to get sleep, even if I'm not getting sleep, you know? I think it's those of us that wake up at three in the morning to nurse our babies, and it's like, yeah, we those are lessons learned because it is about self-sacrifice. And this job, and the running for this campaign, it is all about self-sacrifice, I think. <laughs> Thank I want, you, Sandy. I wanted to read something that my daughter did at school, and she brought home the other day and really impacted me on so many levels. It's it. She did a picture of her profile. I'm showing everyone her profile. Oh, nice. And then her teacher transcribed what she said. And she said, if I was president, I would stop fighting. Mama would always come home. I would make something and sit down. She's three years old. <laughs> and I, it was really profound for me on so many levels. Um, A, that, you know, they're not 
that many women in politics and there's especially not that many women with young children in politics and now I understand why (laughs) it's not easy to run for office and be a a present mom um but 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 us running uh for for supervisor and fighting uh for our communities and being leaders in our community is inspirational um to younger women and you know and 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 we have a responsibility to to provide that example and then the fact that she said mama would always come home at first it it worried me because you know it is a grueling campaign and I'm still working full time and I thought am I not coming home enough I'm you know working my two prior three priorities are work campaign and my daughter my poor husband is getting the short end of the stick um but I um but then it also made me think about how many mothers are working three four jobs uh, and fathers to to just pay their rent and they are not coming home to their children and that we have a responsibility not just to our own children but to making sure that parents can spend the quality time with their children um you know and so that you know you know, profound, had a profound effect on me in so many ways. Um, And then finally, to make something and then sit down. I love that. I was like, we are going to run to do the work and then we're going to take a step back and make sure we have that balance and take a rest when we need to. (laughs) You know, they're brilliant. She's she's three years old and she's brilliant. Um, So I think, you know, just those everyday lessons that we get from our children and that really ground us and make us think about what's important and what's what's real and what's essential is going to impact the way that we we lead as supervisors well fantastic i'm so pleased that that uh, you've all joined me today on women's magazine here at mutiny radio and if maybe we can go around and let people know how to get more information about your campaign kimberly sure um please visit me at uh, kimalvarenga.com uh, you can find out more about the campaign, a little bit about myself, and want to invite you all. Supervisor uh, Avalos is having an event tonight. It's his birthday party at the Wine Sip Bar at 6 p.m., and it's also going to be a meet and greet for me, for me, and it's a community event, so uh, please stop by. Very nice. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I wish I could be there. So sorry. <laughs> um, I have a website, sandrafewer.com. Also, you can follow me on Sandra Fewer Facebook. And I invite everyone to come and join my campaign and learn a little bit about me. But um, I think you'll like everyone that works on my campaign. We're great people. And I invite everyone to join in this campaign. Yes, you can find out more about my campaign on at HillaryRonan.com. Um, and I'm also proud that I have an all-female uh, staff of amazing women leaders um, who are out there working uh, to win this race every single day. And so come join us. Um, and we'd love to have you. Thank you so much. Fantastic. And at this point, I'd like to remind everybody listening out there that women have only had the right to vote since 1920. It hasn't even been 100 years. And so moving forward, we're just a few years short of of that big uh, 100-year anniversary. Um, We do need more women in politics uh, to to bring those types of perspectives that you've all spoken about today. Um, I think we'd have a much more equitable and you know, perhaps a more smooth functioning uh, system of uh, a democratic system. Um, thank you so much, Kim Alvarenga, Sandra Fewer, and Hillary Ronan for being my guest today on Women's Magazine. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Valerie. All right. And so if you're out there in Districts uh, 1 for Sandra Fewer, uh, District 9 for Hillary Ronan, and District 11 for Kim Alvarenga, these are the women who are choosing to step forward and, and put their 
put their uh, put their work and efforts into it. Um, so learn more about them and definitely go vote uh, however you'd like to vote. But uh, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. And Kimberly's going to be sticking around uh, for the next show, which is Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm. Thank you so much. I'm Global Val. And remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, the inspiration is contagious. Peace and thank you. And thanks to all my guests today. Within the grasp of the fiery feather, there's a thread that pulls it together. In the chasm between motive and intent, there's a thread that pulls it together. Somewhere between darkness and light, a shadow where nothing knows right. Someplace at the cross and a dream, Someone is dirty, the image unclean. Material junkies hold out hands. Praying hard for a better deal. Cardholder smiles and shuffles away. His luck just gets better each day.
Proclamation not enough. Our responsibility, emancipate Earth. Peace. Our balance, channel our flow. Determination in human energy. Peace. Past is current to future. We are stronger than we appear. Peace. War maker so far out of balance, he can't help but fall. Peace. We come from the beginning. A world with no end. Life. To women's magazine on mutinyradio.fm on Global Val. Peace. peace. No war. No war. And thanks for the music no from John Trudell. Rest in peace. Chance. 